How does neurotransmitters impact your results on the keto diet and intermittent fasting? Let's find out with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. program to do is to not be able to live without these foods, to be so addicted that you don't even know how to cook or how to eat without these prepackaged box foods that you've become addicted to. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Neurotransmitters, huh? Do you know how these impact your results on keto? You're about to find out with a leading authority on neurotransmitters because I absolutely loved this conversation with Dr. Anne-Marie Border. We just totally geeked out together. You're gonna see the energy, the synchronicity. I wanted this episode to go even longer, but for time constraints, we had to keep it to that hour. But you're gonna learn about toxins heavy metals and the role it plays with neurotransmitters. First of all, you're gonna understand exactly what neurotransmitters are and what they do in the body. Dopamine, serotonin, and many, many other major players out there. Then we discuss which keto foods build up these neurotransmitters and fuel the brain versus which keto foods and non-keto foods deplete neurotransmitters. We'll talk about the gut-brain connection We'll talk about a process called methylation. We talk about mold, which is a hidden evil stressor that a lot of people have that are going through mold exposure and have no idea. Dr. Ann Barter and myself both have a mold story that we're going to share. And then Dr. Ann's going to share the three nutrients that most of her patients are deficient in. And we highly recommend you supplement with these three nutrients. We'll discuss depression. We'll discuss dopamine fasting. We'll discuss why somebody who has the best intentions in the world to stay disciplined on keto keeps sabotaging themselves. And it's because of faulty neurotransmitters. So this episode is one of my all-time favorites. You're going to love Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Grab a pen and paper, stay present, take notes, because this is a life-changing episode. By the way, we did record this via video, and you can watch that video interview, this entire interview on the Keto Camp podcast over at youtube.com slash Keto Camp. We have over 400 videos on there. We have an amazing community of our 113,000 plus subscribers, so you could watch that video interview. We'll put it in the notes of this podcast as well. But before I bring her on the show, I want to acknowledge you for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much. I want to take this opportunity to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Queen Milson titled, Give Me More. 
excellent, excellent information as well as how to implement it. Both questions and answers are incredibly thought provoking, which is why I deeply resonated with the content overall. The topics addressed are definitely concerns in my life for both myself and my clients. The information is always very useful and very digestible, which is appreciated. I find myself wanting to know more as soon as it was over. Ben does an excellent job of keeping things stimulating. Plus, it is very intentional with the caliber of guests he features. If you want to be the best, you must learn from the best. Wow, Queen Milson, what an excellent review. I applaud you and acknowledge you for listening to the show and then taking that to your clients. That is the goal at Keto Camp, to get this information to 1 billion people and you are a messenger for that. So thank you so much. If you haven't left the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review yet, please do so on Apple Podcast. Really does help the show grow. It makes a big difference for helping the algorithms on podcasts. So take a minute here to just hit pause and write that rating and review, an honest rating and review. And when you do so, take a screenshot of that and send that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com with your shipping address in the United States only. And we will mail you a signed copy of my best-selling fasting book as a thank you. I have an exciting new online program that I just launched. It's called the Keto Camp Membership. With your Keto Camp Membership, you'll get access to over 50 videos teaching you keto, intermittent fasting, and other areas of health. You're also gonna get access to a private Facebook group, exclusive live stream Q&As with me, a monthly newsletter with some of my favorite keto biohacks, You'll get digital downloads for a keto smoothie recipe, my best-selling fasting book, my best-selling sleep book. You're going to get a grocery shopping list, my Keto Camp Blueprint, which is an aisle by aisle instruction for keto, how to get clean keto foods and stay away from the dirty keto foods. There's vegan meal plans for keto. There's regular meal plans for keto. And you'll get all of this, which is valued at over $2,580. You'll get all of this for guess what? one monthly payment of $5. <laughs> That's right, it's not a joke. That's the actual price of the program. $5 per month, canceling time, you can get access to the Keto Camp membership. I encourage you to go to www.startketocamp.com. Remember, camp is spelled with a K, www.startketocamp.com, and get access for $5. Start burning fat, get coaching, get assistance, and I want to see you in the Keto Camp membership. We'll put a link for this as well in the podcast notes. Can't wait to see you in there and help you burn some fat. I want to briefly take a break here and let you know about my favorite coffee in the world. Look, I'm a coffee snob for good reasons because the right coffee source can be healing to the body, can reduce inflammation and result in weight loss. The wrong coffee beans could actually increase inflammation, cause weight loss resistance, and sabotage your keto results. There was a recent study in the Canadian Journal of Physiology and Pharmacology that showed caffeine intake from coffee beans could actually increase fatty acid production and help the participants produce more ketones. Most coffee beans are loaded with pesticides and contaminants and even mold. This is why I love my friends over at Purity Coffee. Hands down the best coffee beans I have ever tried. I have my delicious cup of Purity Coffee in the morning with some grass-fed ghee 
and MCT oil, and it turns my brain right on and helps my body produce ketones. Purity Coffee is organic, pesticide-free. These beans are specialty grade, and you could get this coffee shipped straight to your door in nitrogen-flushed bags, roastery fresh. Since you are a listener to the Keto Camp Podcast, we have worked out an exclusive coupon code for you to check out Purity Coffee. Head over to www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use Keto Camp at checkout to get 10% off your order. Again, that is www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout for 10% off your bag of coffee beans. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Okay, let's learn all about neurotransmitters with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Anne-Marie Barter is a chiropractor who serves in the Denver metro area. Dr. Barter graduated from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon, an accredited four-year doctoral program that is considered a leader in evidence-based medicine and the first chiropractic school to be awarded a federal research grant. Dr. Barter underwent rigorous clinical training with some of the finest chiropractors. Dr. Barter has also undergone advanced training in applied kinesiology completing over 400 extra classroom hours and is certified to practice applied kinesiology. She has also studied functional blood chemistry under Dr. Datis Karazian. So without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Hey, Anne. Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I was on your awesome podcast, the Fearless Health Podcast, which is available now. Go listen to it. And now I am reciprocating, and we're going to have an amazing conversation all about neurotransmitters. Are you ready? Yeah, actually, I was so funny right before I got on. My office manager was like, yeah, you have the interview with Ben today. He's so awesome. He's so engaging. You guys are going to have such a good time. So anyway, she said, I loved listening to his podcast. Oh, that's so great. She's right. We're going to have a great time. That is super cool. Tell her I said thank you so much. I will. I totally will. Uh, so let's start with your story. You know, let's dive deep into how you got involved with what you're doing today. You're doing a lot of cool work and a lot of alignment with what I study and what I teach. So I just love what you're doing. How did you get involved with this? Yeah. So I thought that I always wanted to be like a CEO of like a big Fortune 500 company. So I sort of pursued that dream. I graduated school. I went to work at Lockheed Martin. I did major systems negotiations. And I remember hating it. I hated it. I felt like my soul was dying and I was really into health and figuring out my own health. And I started seeing a fella that changed my life. And so I think that that's what got me into it. But the background story on that, I remember when I was about 16, I went to the doc and I said, you know, something's wrong. My skin is breaking out. I just feel like how much I'm running and exercising, I should be skinnier, which was not true. That was between my ears. And, you know, my periods are really bad. Like I just have really bad period cramps. And she ran blood work and she said, the dreaded, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. You're normal. I'm like, well, okay, great. So I said, you know, I just, just thought, oh, this is what I have to deal with for the rest of my life. And I remember one morning I woke up, it was a two years later, and I had such bad stomach pain. I walked into my mom's room and I said, you know, mom, hey, can I stay home from school today, which was pretty atypical for me. I really liked school. I was really involved. And um, she said, we're going to take you to the to a different doctor. She said, can you even stand up straight? I'm like, no, it's just bad period cramps. 
So it turned out that my confusion with period cramps was my appendix exploding. And um, I was rushed into emergency surgery. And the whole time they're like, oh, you're perfectly healthy as I'm getting organs removed out of my body. (laughs) You're in great shape. You're doing wonderful. And I'm like, okay, this is just all, even at 18, I was like, this seems so strange. Fast forward another year, I started breaking out into severe hives that sent me to the emergency room night after night. Clearly, I was Benadryl deficient. There was nothing else going on. Nobody talked to me about diet. Nobody talked to me about anything else going on. And so finally, I started seeking care from natural holistic providers. And here I am today because they actually changed my life. They actually dug deep. They talked to me about diet. They talked to me about um, environmental pollutants. They talked to me about hormones, et cetera. And we started to correct those things. And so that lands me here today. And so that is my story. That's a a very powerful story. And uh, in a sense, I'm sorry you went through all that, but then I'm happy because it took you to where you are today. And you now have the experience when somebody does come to you with these similar problems that you had, you could share your story with them and it will inspire them to actually dig a little bit deeper and get to the cause. Because what most of allopathic medicine fails to see is that there's a cause and an effect, not just an effect. It doesn't just show up overnight. So I love that you teach that. And why did you get into neurotransmitters? What sparked your interest in that area? (laughs) So when people come to see me, I change their diet. I always do an elimination diet for 30 days to to see what foods are contributing. I give people the option. I say, we can do an elimination diet. We can run a test. I really highly recommend the free option to actually see how your body's responding to foods. But if we, if push comes to shove, we can run a test to actually see what foods maybe like are seeping between the radar. But anyway, what ended up happening was people came to me time after time again, like, I want to do the diet. I want to be able to do that. I just can't. I just can't stay off of carbohydrates. I just can't stay off of chips. I just can't stay off of chocolate. I crash. I hit a wall. I can't figure it out. And they they came to me so ashamed. And they said, is this a willpower issue? And after person after person, I started to think, hmm, I wonder what else is going on here. And I remember one day driving home and I talked to people about health all day long and I just felt exhausted and I found myself stopping at Whole Foods to get a cookie and I'm like what am I doing I felt so guilty I felt so shameful and I just started to look at okay I started to run some tests on myself and my neurotransmitters were in the toilet and so what I was trying to do was I was trying to boost them up temporarily because my stress level increased and what I didn't know at the time was I was actually being exposed to an environmental toxin aka black mold Mm -hmm. and so that was contributing to a lot of my problems so my dopamine was just flatlined and so I walked into my my office one day and I looked at my associate doc and I said, I don't know if I can treat today. Like I, something's wrong with me and I feel so worthless. I feel hopeless. And that was dopamine deficiency from the mold exposure. And so I was trying to help myself with processed carbohydrates because what happens is, is it's going to spike it for a short period of time, but guess what? It comes back down. And so that's what got me into neurotransmitters. So then I could relate to what my patients were going through firsthand. And so as part of the elimination diet, a lot of times I'll run an organic acids test or run a test to check to see what their neurotransmitters are if they're struggling with changes to their diet. 
So did you get out of that mold exposure? Did you remediate? What did you do about the mold? I moved out. After I figured out what was going on, I basically, I I was renting at the time. This was years ago. I was renting at the time and I, I called the landlord and said, hey, I need you to take care of this. Well, I think that, you know, when you mention mold, like it goes dead, like silent, like it's, a, it's like a showstopper. It's like, so they didn't respond to me. And I said, listen, I'm not trying to litigate or do anything like that. I just need this mold cleaned out or, you know, we need to figure out another option because this is making me sick. And, you know, can we figure out what's going on here? And they're like, oh, okay, you know, now we'll get on it. So they remediated the house, but I still didn't feel right. And so I left and, and moved out. Yeah, that, that's probably the best thing to do if it's an option. Uh, unfortunately, for some people, it's not an option. But I have a similar story that the house I used to live in before where I live now had black mold and it disrupted my health along with, you know, silver amalgam fillings. But I had to get out of that source. I became so chemically sensitive that when I just got out of that whole environment, my body started to heal. So you mentioned that the mold depleted your dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. So let's start with exactly, if somebody has no idea what a neurotransmitter is, they know it's in the brain, they hear neuro, but what exactly are neurotransmitters? Right, so they're messengers, they're chemical messengers for your body. So they, you know, neurotransmitters can, they work in the brain. So we think about neurotransmitters as making us feel good, our feel good, neurochemicals. That's what we're talking about. But they also run things like digestion. They run things like muscle coordination. They have other functions in the body beyond just like happy, feel good brain neurochemicals, but that's what they're most known for. So they are just our messengers to our body. So they're pretty important. And so they're at a higher level. So when we're thinking about like, for example, um, adrenal health, like we hear adrenal health thrown around, adrenal fatigue, adrenal exhaustion. I mean, when you get to a very progressive point like Addison's disease or Cushing syndrome, but when we're looking at, for example, dopamine is ha, shares a pathway with epinephrine and norepinephrine, which are fight or flight chemicals. And so that actually, you know, is associated with your adrenal health. So sometimes when someone is exhausted or when somebody doesn't feel good or et cetera, or they have some of these what look like adrenal fatigue symptoms could be dopamine depletion. So when dopamine is depleted for whatever reason, mold, uh, and we'll get into some of the more, more common causes of depletion, that means your fight or flight is activated. And then you're chronically pumping out stress. Let me know if I'm getting this right. You're pumping out stress and then all of a sudden your adrenal starts to fatigue. Is that what's happening? Maybe. Okay. Um, so maybe. So a lot of, you know, dopamine can become depleted for a variety of reasons and we can get into that. But what ends up happening is some people don't methylate correctly, which means that they can't tap into, you know, the, you know, dopamine or norepinephrine pathway correctly. So maybe they're a little bit out of balance because you're not tapping into it. Chronic stress, for sure, can also deplete dopamine. So you're going to run through both of those pathways. So, so yes, you are correct, but it, it, it could also be that they can't tap into it because of a methylation issue and they're having trouble. And, and when Dr. Ann says stress, there's three areas. There's mental, emotional, there's chemical, and there's physical. And it could be any one of those that could deplete this. Uh, you mentioned methylation. Could you go a little bit deeper and explain what methylation is? So what's happening in this particular pathway is you have to have 
B12 and you have to have B6 and you have to have folate and you have to have magnesium and copper and vitamin C to run this pathway. Those are all of the nutrients involved in this pathway. Then when you get to the bottom of the pathway, you can either go into dopamine or you can go into epinephrine or norepinephrine, your fight or flight chemicals. And you need SAMe to be able to make that conversion. If you don't have enough of that, you're going to see an imbalance on, for example, an organic acids test. This is where I see this imbalance. So what will happen is, for example, dopamine will be really, really high and epinephrine will be really, really low, like some of these cofactors that we see because somebody can't convert. Is that all the time? No, absolutely not. That's why you have to run the test to figure it out, to see what's going on with these pathways. And it, it, you could just be flatlined in both. Let's say you don't have the nutrients to run that pathway. Let's say you're severely deficient in magnesium. Would I call that like a methylation issue? Not really, but, or you might be depleted in a lot of the chemicals, like if, a lot of the nutrient chemicals, like, you know, B12, B9, you might not be getting the right forms of that, etc. So you just have to make sure that you're running the pathway appropriately. And for example, one of the things that I think causes stress in this pathway itself is not having the right nutrients. And that is something commonly I see. I'll tell you time and time again, when I run testing, people are depleted in magnesium, they're depleted in B6, and they are depleted in vitamin C like it is going out of style. Those things are super duper duper common to see depletions in. So I just want to like make sure people know that, that these things are very common. And it could be as simple as, hey, I just need to, you know, support, you know, my body with maybe some nutrients um, on this pathway, and that will help it run a little bit better. So it can be, you know, as fancy as environmental chemicals, which I think most people have, I see a lot of environmental chemicals in my practice. But it could also be as simple as nutrient deficiencies, or guess what, most people have all of it. So I just also want to talk about, because we're kind of talking like abstract about dopamine. So I'd like to read a list of dopamine depleted symptoms, because I think that people can relate to this because dopamine is so important. It's our, our hedonistic neurochemical and it's awesome. Like it makes people feel good, gives people running, runners high, etc. But here's what we see when we're dopamine depleted. And you, this list is not comprehensive. And so a lot of times people have one or two things on this. But when we run testing, they will be full blown dopamine depleted. And so some of the things that we look for are feelings of hopelessness, self destructive thoughts, an inability to handle stress, anger and aggression will under stress, you're not feeling rested after long hours of sleep. You prefer to isolate yourself from others. You have unexplained lack of concern for family and friends. You're easily distracted from tasks. You have an inability to finish tasks. You need to consume caffeine to stay alert. Your libido has been decreased. You lose your temper for minor reasons. And you have feelings of worthlessness. This list was actually created by Dottis Karazian. So I want to give him credit where credit is due. But Generally, what we see is people will have a lot of symptoms of this if they're being honest. And even one to two positives on this, a lot of times, again, when you run the testing, they are very, very deficient and people have learned to live with it, which is what makes me so sad. And so 
we use things to help us like sugar or processed carbohydrates. So that list, so many people listening right now or watching on YouTube are thinking, oh my God, ding, ding, ding. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. So what are the first steps to test? Is the, the organic acids test? Is that what you recommend? I do that. There's other tests out there, but that's primarily what I use in my practice. So it's a urine test. And I think it's important. Why I think this test is awesome is because it does have some tests to check a little bit for black mold in this particular test. And so a pro tip that it was funny my my sister called me recently and she said you know she was having all these symptoms we went on a bike ride together and I was like wow you sound so bad like your breathing is rough like have you been checked for mold because it sounds like mold she's like oh no we cleaned I cleaned that out of my house I was working with someone I cleaned that out and I was like all right yeah you might want to recheck that and you need to do a glutathione challenge with it so what I always recommend with this test is I recommend doing a glutathione challenge prior to running the test since there are light duty mold toxins on this test and so it checks a little bit for black mold so i five days before the test running doing liposomal glutathione i think is a really good practice and so you can see if maybe if somebody has dopamine depletion hey could this be potentially related to something that you were exposed to? Because again, mm. and we talked about this on the podcast, on my podcast, most people don't know that they're exposed to mold. Most people yeah. have no idea. It's like, they're like, well, and it's associated with, oh my goodness, I live, no, I'm clean. I'm clean. I mean, I'm not dirty. I don't have mold. And so it's associated, there's some association with like you being a dirty person and that's why you have mold in your house. That's ridiculous. So it's related to water damage. So I always recommend doing that. So the organic acids test is definitely one of the first places to start. And on the organic acids test, it checks for a fair number of nutrients in that pathway. Now it doesn't check for magnesium and it also doesn't check for copper, which are two important pieces, but it does check for the B12, B9, B6, as well as vitamin C. So you can get a fair amount of information on what potentially will cause that. And you can get a little bit of information on gut health. So it's kind of like an overall, and also it looks at oxidative markers or oxidative stress in your body to know if maybe chemicals could be at the root cause. So you can kind of direct your care that way. Yeah, that's great information. Now I have a question, a clarifying question on what you shared. The glutathione challenge is the reason we want to do that is because when we force the cells, glutathione will help the cells produce more energy and it will flush out some of the mold. Is that why we do that? Yep. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know about that. I love that. Do you do any kind of Dutch testing to look at uh, uh, hormones? I love Dutch testing and Dutch tests also checks for the dopamine as well as, you know, the epinephrine precursors, just like the oats test does. Cause there's can be an oats portion of the Dutch test. So yes, I love the Dutch test. I generally wait till later to run the Dutch test. The reason for that is because I want to see what else is going on in their system that could be affecting their hormones because hormones have an inverse relationship with inflammation. So if you're constantly living in a moldy house or you have all these other gut toxicity toxins, you have, you know, et cetera, whatever it is that's going on in your body, 
I think hormones are the last, I, I, not I think, I fix hormones last um, as a general rule because I see so much more progress with that. And sometimes I'll run all the tests together initially, but for the most part, I run a battery of tests at the beginning and then I run a, a Dutch test closer to the end just because a lot of times, especially in, in people that are relatively young or healthy, their hormones will balance out on their own. And so I always give them the option if they want to run it or not. But a lot of times people opt to not do it because they feel great with some of the other things. But. Yeah, I, I love that philosophy because you're right. Even if you could optimize the hormones and get it into an optimized level, if there's inflammation around the cells, if we're not getting into the cell, we're not going to feel well. So we want to do everything we can to bring down cellular inflammation and then they could become more sensitive and actually dock to these receptor sites and do their job. Yeah, and I think a really strong example of that is I work with some athletes and I've had athletes that were on testosterone injections and their testosterone is barely moving on the dial. And they're like, I don't understand why this is happening. Da, 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 da. And, you know, just doing something that is an anti-inflammatory herb in a couple of cases, I've used turmeric, mm -hmm. you know, while they were going for these injections and it's jumping up like a hundred, 200 points wow. where it hasn't moved at all. So that shows just the really, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying that, but that totally. just shows the relationship between testosterone and inflammation as testosterone goes down. Generally, you can make the assumption that inflammation is up. Oh, that is super fascinating. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job so you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you wanna get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com, check them out, Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I have another question for you. You said most people are deficient in vitamin B6, magnesium, and vitamin C. Do you recommend supplementing with that or getting it through nutrition on a, on a daily basis? I supplement because generally my folks are so low on that. Um, and, and most of the time when somebody comes to see me, they have really bad gut health, you know, 
when I'm running a GI panel to see what's going on tends to be a lot of things. Like uh, there tends to be a lot of things on it. Like the H. pylori is, you know, affecting the nutrition. Like for example, you know, H. pylori has an affinity for iron. So if you see somebody that's chronically iron deficient, a lot of times there's bacteria in their gut or dysbiosis that's actually eating and feeding off of that and multiplying and reproducing, creating that inflammation. You know, it could be anything. So I generally supplement, but I tend to want to kill critters before I supplement because in really extreme examples, you'll see the bacteria grow. So I like to basically do a gut killing protocol first before supplementing, you know, and then if I can optimize their gut, then they can get it through diet. And that's, you know, ideal. That's the plan. Yeah, I love that. So you do a killing phase, you incorporate maybe uh, oil of oregano, allicin, I mean, whatever it is that you want to incorporate with your clients and you kill down some of that bacteria, build it back up with healthy bacteria, and then they can start digesting their food better, getting their vitamins from their foods. Along, along with supplementation, yeah, I think that's great too. When somebody is supplementing with vitamin B6, do you also recommend they supplement with all the B vitamins or is it okay to just do vitamin B6? Depends on what I find on their testing. I will generally give a product that has, you know, B6, B9, B2, and B6, B9, B12, and B2, just to hit that whole pathway. But I check to see what the individual, you know, I I check to see like where they're high and where they're low. So sometimes I just give B6 if they're, you know, if the rest of their levels are good. But sometimes, you know, if I don't know, I'll generally give the entire complex. Got it. What about somebody who's listening or watching right now who's doing keto and they keep falling off track right there. I'm going to stay disciplined, you know, the willpower thing that you spoke about. And then all of a sudden they find themselves, you know, arm deep in a bag of Cheetos or even like healthy chips, but they're knocking themselves out of ketosis, but they committed to being in ketosis and they just keep going back and forth. What is happening to this person at the neurotransmitter level? Well, that's a great question. I quote a song called, you know, that's Guns N' Roses. I used to do a little, but a little one do it so the little got more and more. So maybe initially you feel like, okay, wow, I just need a bite of that donut. I need a bite of that donut to feel satisfied. And that tastes so good. And it was like, yes. And then that bite of that donut turned into half a donut. And then that half a donut turned into full donut. And then the box of donuts is blowing away and you're passed out from a sugar high, right? So what we're looking at is the processed carbohydrates make our neurotransmitters pop back up and then they make them crash lower than we were before. So an extreme example of this is in binge eating. So with binge eating, these people, the only time that they feel normal is when they're actually in a binge, overeating food, overeating carbohydrates, overeating sugar, because that is the only time their serotonin and their dopamine levels are actually going up. There was a study that was done with rats and they took rats and they had them fast for 12 hours. I mean, it wasn't really an option. They, they fasted. <laughs> yeah. The rats fasted two groups of rats. At the end of that, one group of rats got rat chow and they wanted to measure their dopamine levels. And then the other group of rats got a sucrose solution, so a sugar solution, as well as a rat chow. And so they wanted to see what happened to dopamine levels. So the control group that just got the rat chow, whatever that is, their dopamine levels stayed consistent. The rat group that actually got the sucrose solution as well as the rat food, their dopamine levels increased to 150% 
of normal when they had the sucrose solutions. Wow. And they drank at the very beginning when they were just set free, they drank a ton of that sucrose solution. And each day it kept on getting higher and higher and higher to maintain that same dopamine level. So when you are knee deep or elbow deep in a bag of chips or a donut or whatever, name your vice here, overeating, et cetera, you're trying to increase your dopamine levels. But then what happens is, is that the dopamine levels drop lower than they were before. So we're in a nasty feedback loop where we feel great, but in order to maintain that, we need to have more. And so that's why the rats drank more and more and more and more sucrose solution. Rats will choose dopamine over food and water every single time. That is how powerful that neurochemical is. That is how good it makes you feel. And so a lot of people just don't feel normal. And so if our dopamine gets depleted by nutrient deficiencies, how many people have nutrient deficiencies? I would argue most people that aren't working on that, right? How many people have gut issues? Guess what? Dopamine is stored in the gut. So when you're looking at that, you know, if you have a bunch of gut issues, whatever it could be, you know, potentially parasitic infections, candida overgrowth, leaky gut, blah, 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 name whatever it is here, the dopamine that's stored in the gut, you're dumping, and some of the dopamine is actually made in the gut. And then we're looking at, for example, you know, stress. Like who doesn't have stress or like they just are just too many places in one time or environmental chemicals or whatever, you know. So all of these things create problems in your system and are going to deplete your dopamine levels. So the free way we know to boost this up or, you know, the legal way is with food. The illegal way is with drugs. This is so fascinating. I love this conversation. That was really well explained. So my, my next thought when you were explaining that was, okay, we get dopamine hits from social media. We get dopamine hits from uh, processed foods. We get dopamine hits from food in general. Do you recommend a maybe a daily practice, a weekly practice, or even a monthly practice of intentional dopamine fasting where you have no stimulations, you're just out there in nature, you're just present to kind of reset that dopamine balance? Yeah, I mean, I would. People won't do it for me. Like why, my subset, I like that's just, you know, I think it's really important to go camping or to be out away or to be out away from devices because it resets a lot of things in your system, you know, but generally, you know, people won't do it even if I recommend it. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great tip to do, but most people don't do it. He, but here's what I do. I don't really go camping and do all that, although I would love to. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I do daily little hits of reset. So in the morning, I don't check my phone for an hour after waking up. I'll go for a morning walk with my dog. I'll do affirmations. No no stimulation. Just So that's like an hour of kind of resetting that dopamine balance. And then I'll sprinkle that out throughout the day. I'll go on my rooftop. I'll work out. I'll just, you know, which kind of, does work working out spark dopamine? Yeah, it's good yeah, for it. Oh, it's good for her. So I'll do a workout and then I'll do some, some affirmations on my rooftop. And then I'll go for another walk in the afternoon with my dog and my girlfriend, sometimes to the beach. So these are kind of ways for me to sprinkle it in there. Uh, of course, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to do this throughout my day. But the point is we could sprinkle it in there and there is benefits to doing that. So huge. Uh, huge. Yeah, huge what you're doing is awesome. I mean, I think it's huge. I mean, we're addicted to our phones. We're addicted to, you know, how many people like whatever we're doing on social media. Like, it's really good to take a break from all of that. I think social media is 
huge. You know, it's sad because we see people killing themselves because they didn't get enough likes for a post, which is tragic. And so that kind of shows you the level of depletion that we have created with dopamine. So if you can start to remove some of those things, some of those stressors in your everyday life, that's important. Or just how much you're checking your email, how much you're on your phone, getting out in the sunshine, that is so important for neurotransmitter making because we have serotonin receptors in our eyes. You know, getting direct sunlight into our eyes, getting out and moving your body, those things are critical, critical. Mm. So I'm doing something good there. (laughs) Let's move on to keto. A lot of my audience do keto. They do fasting. Does being in ketosis benefit neurotransmitters in any way? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is we see that hormones, as long as somebody is not stressing their body in ketosis, right? We know that all hormones rise in ketosis. So for example, epinephrine and norepinephrine, right? We know that we can actually stop adrenal fatigue and that all of these hormones are actually going to rise and it takes the pressure off of like constant fatigue in the adrenal glands, slowing down, not having to digest all the time, not eating foods that can be potentially inflammatory for the system. Absolutely. So yes, Yeah, it's very, very beneficial for neurotransmitters. As long as you're not too depleted, as long as you're like somebody that that should be fasting and you don't have an eating disorder. So I think I wanna just make sure that that's clear that if somebody is starving themselves and they're not putting in proper nutrition when they start to eat again. So, you know, somebody's like, I'm doing keto and they are, you know, just fasting and they've got a little bit more of an eating disorder, you'll see it drop. Mm. Let's see the hormones drop. But as a general rule, no, it's actually really good for neurotransmitters. Okay, awesome. That's great. Now, you, you mentioned dopamine, serotonin. What are some of the other big players when it comes to neurotransmitters? So I think GABA and ACH is another huge, huge player um, in that. And so uh, they're all so wonderful to just feel good. You know, so ACH or acetylcholine is so important for our brain health. It looks at remembering names, remembering numbers, uh, you know, putting a face with a name, et cetera. So it's just your cognitive ability. We know that this gets depleted in people that have neurodegeneration. So we're seeing that be depleted. GABA is awesome. GABA is for, you know, folks that are wired but tired type of mentality. They feel that inward trembling. I kind of describe them like Tigger. So dopamine depletion, I describe like Eeyore. And then, for example, for GABA, I think of it more like Tigger. They're just sort of anxious all the time, and they don't really know what they're anxious about, but everything is is setting them off, and I think that that tends to be GABA. And so that just calms everything down in our brain and so and in pretty common deficiency as well. So somebody who's wired and tired, somebody who maybe gets alerted from sounds really quickly has low amounts of GABA typically? A lot of times, and a lot of times they have a um, pretty substantial cortisol dysregulation in their adrenal glands. Mm. So they tend to be heightened. And so I just, I like to calm those neurochemicals down. So how do you do that? How do you calm it down and how do you increase your uh, ACH? So I actually give ACH. So 
dazacoline, um, you can do that. So acetyl L, yeah. So you you can just give it as a supplement. Um, I give GABA straight as a supplement. I give the precursors to serotonin and the precursors for dopamine as a supplement. And then what we do is we do adaptogenic herbs to calm down the adrenal glands. And so I think it's just figuring out and making it all work together. People are generally afraid, for example, especially with serotonin, because so many people have heard of SSRIs mm-hmm. and they're afraid. They're like, "Is this? are you giving me an SSRI? Are you giving me? No, no, absolutely not. So I'm giving you the precursors to make serotonin and anything that you don't need, you're going to pee out. Because when we're looking at an SSRI and how what we're doing with supplementation is different than an SSRI. So with an SSRI, you're just not absorbing or uptaking the serotonin that you already have. SSRI is not giving you more serotonin, okay? When we actually are building up the precursors, we're giving you those that you need to make your own serotonin so that you feel better. And then when you come off of it, it's not this violent, I'm going to have like a lightning electrical bolts in my system and have all these brain zaps for the next however long, you know, month, two months as I'm coming off of this thing and feel terrible because your serotonin levels have naturally been increased. What ends up happening is people, you know, I generally give people a time frame of how long they need to be on on the neurotransmitters based on what their levels are. Um, and, and none of that's an exact science because, you know, stress can kick up or they can get exposed to something else or whatnot. So, you know, so things can deplete it. But as a general rule, you can say, okay, you probably need to be on this bottle of supplementation, for example, say, I don't know, two months or three months, right? I believe that supplements have a beginning, a middle and an end, like any good story. You want to fix the problem and move on, fix this problem and move on. So some things you might need uh, longer term, but ultimately, you know, you want to fix a problem and move on. So with that, people start to forget to take it and they feel so good and they're enjoying their life that they don't need it anymore. I love that. I love your philosophy regarding supplements. I'm, I'm very similar. We rotate them. We, they're targeted approach because we don't want the body to reach a homeostasis. We always want to mix things up. And I love that you use adaptogen herbs as well. What are your favorite neurotransmitter building foods? <laughs> what are your favorite foods? Well, I mean, you really want, you know, proteins are really important for that. Vegetables, protein and vegetables and fats are all really important. Nuts and seeds, all of those things should be able to build it as long as your gut is working well. We should be getting enough tyrosine and tryptophan in the standard American diet from the foods that we're eating. You know, I mean, spinach and, you know, eggs and protein, animal protein. I mean, drop any of that in there. Those are all really good neurotransmitter building foods. I think what I'd like to focus on are neurotransmitter depleting foods. Mm, Yeah. Processed carbohydrates, sugars, alcohols, drugs, just leave them alone. There's a study done with Nestle. I think it was in either the 80s or the 90s. And they estimated that there were 11,000 new foods each year hitting the shelves of supermarkets. How we can have 11,000 new foods 
foods. Yeah, let's put that in quotation marks. Hitting the shelves in a grocery department, I have no idea because I don't know that many different varieties of brand new apples or brand new olive oil or like what? So 11,000 new foods were hitting the shelves. And so you have to think of these things like, you know, and this is going to be in the inside aisles of the grocery store. Right. And guess what? And so the, the food manufacturers know that when they're going to sprinkle in sugar under fancy, funny names, that you become addicted. And so the goal is, is for you to become addicted because when you eat that ketchup, when you eat that salad dressing, when you eat that those crackers, you feel so good. You have such a high with that, that you want to continue to buy that brand over and over again, because what? You get a neurotransmitter hit and you feel amazing. And so that's when you go to that, your favorite restaurant etc because sugar and all of these processed carbohydrates they're a drug and you get a neurochemical hit these food companies i call them franken food mafias they hire scientists who know exactly what dr ann's teaching here the only difference is that they use it for evil to get people addicted to these foods but dr ann is using it to teach people how the body works to make sure you live a healthier life you're right stay away from the middle aisle stay away from these fancy packaging and just eat real food i mean really real food you said protein fats vegetables that's keto you know that that's keto and it doesn't even require a label to be on there to eat real food that stat you gave is insane. Those are all fake foods that come on the market and they research how this is reacting in the body and how addicting it is. And the higher it is when it comes to the addiction scale, the faster it'll be on the shelf in the supermarket, which is sick. Right. And it sells, right? I mean, patients will come in and when I explain this and I'm like, listen, you need to look at your ketchups. And they're like, my ketchups? Really? Are you sure? Yes. I'm I'm positive. You need to look at your salad dressings. You know, and when you say sugar, people are like, well, I mean, I'm not eating cookies, cakes, and candies, so I'm not eating sugar. But you really have to sit down and you have to read these labels. And when you hand somebody something that says, okay, you can have protein, you can have some fruits, you can have vegetables, you can have, you know, fats, etc. They're like, what do I eat? What do I eat? Okay, let's go through what you know, what you can eat. But that's what we're programmed to do is to not be able to live without these foods to be so addicted that you don't even know how to cook or how to eat without these prepackaged box foods that you've become addicted to. It's the stupid American diet, the sad diet. I love stupid American diet. I've never heard that. I like that. Do you recommend if somebody is not breaking down protein and fats well, do you recommend taking a digestive enzyme? Yeah, I will. I generally run a stool panel. The reason for that is because on stool panels, I see H. pylori be present in you know, 50 to 60% of the stool panels that I'm running. And then generally it's also circulating the family because it's highly contagious. So I want to see why, you know, potentially their stomach acids are off before giving them a digestive enzyme just solely. I mean, but I want to make sure I know why that's off. I mean, as we age, we don't have as, as, much digestive function. And so I think later in life, yes, I think digestive enzymes make sense as a general rule, but I want to make sure that I know why and have gotten to the root of the problem. Because a lot of times, you know, an H. pylori infection makes your stomach more alkaline or it changes the pH where you can't break down the food. So I want to make sure 
we know why someone's not breaking down the food. And if they need a digestive enzyme, great. But yeah, want to know why. It makes a lot of sense. So do you so you have a protocol for H. pylori? Could you share a little bit of what, what you do? Do you use like Matula tea and killers? Like how do you deal with it? depends. Um, it depends on what's on it. So uh, a lot of times I'll use uh, oregano oil, organ grape, berberine, you know, any of those types of herbs. A lot of times I'll do biofilm breakers, like I'll utilize um, serapeptidase um, type things to go ahead and break that down to get rid of the biofilm around them. It depends on what they have on their stool test. If I think it's pretty straightforward, but Generally, H. pylori should be gone within one to two months. If not, then I, I generally dig deeper. Again, I see a hierarchy as it relates to things that, that I'm killing off. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, mold definitely dysregulates the gut in a pretty big way. Um, so I think mold is like Satan's bride. So I think of he's, you know, he's on the, you know, she, he on the top end of things. And then, you know, I want to make sure they don't have a parasitic infection. I actually honestly do not find a ton of parasitic infe- infections where I am. Anytime I run a stool panel outside of my general area, I find a lot more parasites, but I'm at altitude. I'm in Colorado. And I don't know if that's potentially why, but I do not see, and I run a PCR test, which is checking for DNA of parasites. So I'm, we're not looking for just the worm or the egg in there, the larva, et cetera. So they're actually checking for DNA byproducts, but I don't find it a lot in my general area. Um, it's less, less common. And then, you know, we're going down, you know, viruses, bacteria, and then, you know, candida being opportunistic. So, you know, I kind of, I think one thing that I haven't touched on is one thing that I do find on a lot of stool tests is we check for, um, I use a GI map, by the way. I was going to ask you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I use a GI map and there's a couple good tests out there, but that's just what I prefer. One thing that I see in a lot of chronic gut cases or where people have had, you know, they've been through all kinds of protocols, they've had all kinds of gut problems is I generally find that somebody has had dental infections or they have dental problems. Me too. Yeah. And so on this test, it actually checks for to see how much oral bacteria is actually in your gut. That's fascinating. Above a certain level, I always make somebody go and get a cone beam scan and to double check to see what's going on to get that addressed. Because for me, like I will never be able to fix them fix it with herbs alone. Will it be able to help? But but I mean, my job isn't to kind of like, oh, I want to get you to 30%. We'll see what happens right. from there. I mean, that, that sucks. That's not why I got into this. So, I mean, we want to just make sure that we're treating the problem. And if there's an infection in your mouth, you will never fix it. By the way, I had that. You had a cavitation. I had a cavitation after wisdom tooth removal 20 years later. Like, it was just like I had a hole in my on the right side of my jaw. And you, had, you went through the whole surgery. It's a whole process. Good on you doing that, though. I never did the surgery. I know that that's like the gold standard. What did you do? I did ozone injections. Got it. Got it. I did three years of ozone injections. Wow. <laughs> and my gum line, my jaw, and all of that, it finally has blood supply. It bleeds, and my bacteria is low in my gut, and I don't have any problems. So that's what I did. That's kind of a fringe there. That is not the gold standard in the literature. Right. I want to be really clear about yeah. that. Gold standard in the literature is surgery and removing the ligament. I just don't like surgery. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, and for those listening or watching, what is a cavitation? It's a, it's a tiny little cave that forms in your gums that you can't see with the naked eye or even a, a regular x-ray. We'd have to get a specific scan called a 3D cone beam scan, which some holistic dentistry dentists have it, not all. But you also need to know how to read the scan. So that's the first step to get it done, but you need to have somebody who knows how to read it. And then if you have a cavitation, you got to get it taken care of. And, and Dr. Ann said the gold standard is surgery for sure. But what it does, it's these nasty bacteria, these anaerobic bacteria that communicate to, communicate to your gut back and forth. And like you said, you can't get somebody well if they have this going on. And there's an 88% chance for a cavitation if you've had a wisdom tooth extracted. That, that's insane. So I've, I've done the scan on myself. Thankfully, I didn't have it. Yeah, you're doing great work. I love, uh, there's a lot of alignment with, with uh, both of our teachings. We totally do. And I think, by the way, I just want to caution people out there. I have seen like full-blown mouth bacteria, full-blown, et cetera, like bacteria um, in like people are doing comb beam scans and it's very clear that they have that bacteria in their gut and they'll go to a dentist and the dentist is like, no, you don't have it. And then we'll do a nebulizer treatment. I'll have them do a nebulizer treatment with herbs and whatnot. And they're like, there's just crazy green mucus coming out of my sinuses and out of my mouth and etc. So, you know, I generally will do a challenge just to see if they cannot get proper dental care. Mm, fascinating. Okay. So how would we know what we are lacking? What type of testing can we take? With the dopamine, I generally run an oats test um, just to see what is going on. I also run this test because it checks for certain bacterial markers. And if you have these bacterial markers, they're in like the C. diff family, etc. Dopamine and phenylalanine is contraindicated. Okay. So we don't give precursors for dopamine in that situation. You can take a tyrosine supplement, but you have to be careful about boosting and supporting that because it can cause brain inflammation. So that's why I run an oats test um, to just double check and, and just see what the levels are so I can kill two birds with one stone. That's great. And the oats test is a urine test, correct? Yeah. Yep. That's the one we talked about doing the glutathione challenge with and, and all of that. Yep. Thank you. And the next one's from Kieran Canada, uh, Dr. Anne Marie Barter. How do we test for MTHFR gene mutation, which affects the liver detoxification process? Um, so I generally, what I'm doing for that, you can do a lot of genetic testing for that. There's multiple ways to do that. I generally am checking homocysteine in my practice to see, and I give methylated Bs. That's just what I do. So when homocysteine is high on my lab work, which basically is a pathway that causes either cardiovascular problems or brain problems, I generally give methylated Bs and I give the whole complex. So I'm going to give B2, B6, folate, and B12 that's methylated. Great, great answer. And then next question from Judy in Canada as well says, how do you increase glutathione, please? I give straight glutathione. So I give it straight. I give um, something called GSH or glutathione, and I just give it in a liposomal form. I think that that is critical for overall health, and, and just do that. Take a liposomal form of that. I know that people say um, that NAC completely converts to glutathione, and, and can it? Yes. Um, but I think that your bang for your buck of getting glutathione is so much better when you do a liposomal. Some people want to do... IV injections, that's fine as well. But 
the amount of toxins that glutathione is going to clear out and be able to mobilize is about 90% of the toxins that we're exposed to respond to glutathione. So when we're talking about cleaning out or chelating metals, you need to have glutathione. When we're talking about mold, it's always part of my mold protocol. When we're talking about environmental exposures, like when we're talking benzene, which is, you know, we're exposed to that when we drive, pesticides, et cetera, 90% of those chemicals respond to that. Yeah, well said. I, I use intracellular glutathione as well, um, and I I bring it on when the detox pathways are ready for detoxification. Right. Uh, next one is from Monica regarding the mold. Approximately how long may you have water damage before black mold will develop? Um, it depends on where you live. Forty-eight hours. Yeah, right. Exactly. She's in the Bahamas, so you're. It's very humid there, just like Miami. So probably less than forty-eight hours. Yeah, it can be. It can be pretty quick. And remember, black mold is used in um, in warfare. It's used in. So I mean, it's nasty. it's nasty, nasty stuff. I mean, again, just yeah. So be careful. The mold that grows where I am in a dry climate is pretty serious mold. So yes, it can be very, very quick. Last question. Where can I get the tests done? Can they reach out to you to get these tests done? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's uh, where's the best place for them to find you? You can just give us a call or, you know, go to our website, altaltfammedmed.com. Just reach out, say that you heard us on this show, and we'll run the tests. We'll go Great. ahead and get those run for you. Uh, we'll put the, that in the notes of the podcast. Where else can we find your work, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter? Yeah, <laughs> my full name. Huh? <laughs> um, so I have a podcast called Fearless Health Podcast. So you can find me there. I podcast a fair amount. Um, so you can find me on other shows. And, you know, you can you can find a ton of information on, you know, fearlesshealthpodcast.com um, as well as AltFamMed, short for Alternative Family Medicine.com. So that's us. Awesome. We'll put Rachel, our show notes, uh, extraordinaire. We'll put all the links and resources to Dr. Ann's work in the notes of the podcast, in the notes of the YouTube channel. Uh, this was a great conversation. I just totally digged it so much. I, you are doing such great work because you're. Sure you. <laughs> th- thank you, but but you know, I, I want to acknowledge you because I'm just so blown away by your knowledge, but also the fact that you're using so many therapies. It's a multi-therapeutic approach. And it's it's kind of rare. I got to be honest with you. It's kind of rare to find somebody who's looking at health from all of these angles. I've spoken to a lot of brilliant people, but it's not common to see them look at the mold, the heavy metals, the cavitations, and conversations like this just light me up because I know you're doing great work in your community and on your podcast and on your YouTube channel. So thank you for showing up and educating my audience and educating me. And I can't wait to do round two with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's just such a gift to be here and share this. So I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I told you you were going to love Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. She is such a wealth of information. I was so impressed with her. I imagine you are too. Hey, go check out the video interview with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter over at YouTube, youtube.com slash ketocamp. We'll put links down below. Go check out her podcast, the Fearless Health Podcast. You could start with the episode that I'm on. She interviewed me. I'll put a link for that down below on the podcast notes. Text this to a friend. Maybe it's somebody you know who's going through depression, somebody who's going through sabotaging the results and they're just not getting the results they want. This could make a big difference for them. So just simply copy this link and send it to them via text and then leave the show, the Keto Camp Podcast, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show grow and expand and reach more people. So please do so and 
when you do that, take a screenshot and send that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com and we will send you a signed copy of my best-selling fasting book in the United States only, so put your shipping address there. Just a reminder of the Keto Camp membership where you can get access to videos, a private Facebook group, exclusive live stream Q&A with me, downloadables, a monthly newsletter with Keto Biohacks, and so much more. You can get access to all of this for just a monthly payment, one monthly payment of $5. Cancel anytime. Head to startketocamp.com to get access to this immediately. We'll also put a link in the notes, startketocamp.com. Thanks so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You will hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.